Amen, choir and Rebecca. What a powerful name, the name of Jesus. Man, if that don't get you excited, I don't know what will. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Well, turn to Romans chapter 6. In your Bibles this morning, we're continuing our journey through the book of Romans. It's been um, exciting. It's been challenging. We've been talking about, as uh, brought you up to speed last week, the blessings of the gospel. The gospel changes everything. When you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, it changes everything. I've never met a person, never met a Christian who said, I regret getting saved. I regret coming to know Jesus. I've met a few Christians, quite a few. In fact, probably most every one of you would say this. I regret that I didn't get saved sooner. And so this morning, if you're here and you're separated from God and you're not saved, you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ, you may think everything's nice and neat and going good for you, but I'm going to tell you, there's coming a day of reckoning, and maybe one day, I hope down the road, maybe even today, you give your life to Jesus Christ, and you will be able to say the same thing, I don't regret it, I just regret I didn't do it sooner. I pray that that day would be today for you. In Romans chapter 6, we've talked about the two lives that are contrasted here. The life without Christ, or the life that all of us had before Christ. It was a life of lawlessness. It was a life of selfishness and going our own way. And it, it bred guilt. It bred shame and blame and all sorts of things that go along with that. And when we don't deal with that guilt and shame, we tend to want to cover it up. Then we want somebody to condone it and tell us it's okay. And then before long, we find we're confined to it. It's like we cannot break free. We think we can, but we can't. We're enslaved to it. And then if we stay in it, we're condemned because of it. But what God calls us to do is bring it to him. Bring your sin. Bring your guilt. Bring your shame. Bring it all to him. You know, we want to hide it from God, cover it up. But God wants us to expose it to him. Yes, he's a holy God. He's perfect. But he's also loving and kind and patient. And the Bible says he's ready to forgive. So if you will bring your sin and your guilt to him and expose it to him, confess it, admit to him, this is sin. And the Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what God wants to do for each of you. That's what God sent his son Jesus to do. And so when that happens for us, when we turn from our sin and we, are, we receive his cleansing, then in Christ we have righteousness, we have holiness, we have life. And so we pick up in our outline, which is on the back of your worship bulletin, if you like to follow along. I want to ask you this morning, is your life producing the fruit of holiness? If you would look at chapter 6. Of Romans, and let's pick up with verse 19. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh, for just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then and the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. 
But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Heavenly Father, I thank you for authoring your word. And Holy Spirit, you inspired it. Now I pray that you would just please teach us. Lord, help people today, help us all today to hear it, to understand it, to believe it, and to obey it. I know we'll be changed by it if we allow you to work in us. Thank you for being with us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Holiness, that's not something a lot of people want to talk about because they have the wrong idea about holiness. They think that it somehow means perfection, sinless perfection, when that is not the concept of all at all, unless you're referring to God and His holiness. God has never been touched with sin, and therefore when you say He is holy, it, it just simply means He's altogether separate from sin. But the Bible says we are holy. We are separated unto God. The word holy just means separated unto God. It means set apart for His purpose. It means to be, have been cleansed by Him. Have you been saved? Have you, if you have been saved, if you've been, uh, asked Jesus Christ into your life to forgive your sin, then you've been cleansed. You've been set apart for him. You are holy. And if that is true of you, you now have Jesus Christ living in you. He will not move out. In fact, he cannot move out. He is yours and you are his. And if that is true, just as a seed is planted into the ground... So Christ has been planted into us. That seed will sprout. That seed will grow. That plant will put on fruit. And the fruit that we bear because of the life of Jesus in us, Paul here calls the fruit of holiness. Are you bearing the fruit of holiness? So let's look at what this might look like in the life of a believer. First of all, it would look like the fruit of repentance. John the Baptist in Luke chapter 3, he preached repentance. He was preparing people for the coming of Jesus Christ. And his message was for people to repent. That is, turn from their sin. Stop doing the things that were wrong and start doing the things that were right. Now, if a person chose to live that way, then they would be baptized. And his baptism was a baptism of repentance. Baptism is still a symbol of repentance. It's still a symbol of dying to that old way of life and being raised to walk in a new way of life. Here's what John the Baptist said in Luke 3, 8. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. What does that mean? Well, there would be Jews who said, well, we don't need to repent. We're Southern Baptists. That's what that means. We don't need to repent. We're deacons. We don't need to repent. We're Sunday school teachers. We don't need to repent. We go to church every Sunday. That's what that means. They were saying, we don't need to repent. We're Jews. Do you need to repent? Are you bearing the fruit of repentance? He says in verse 9, even the, now, and even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. If you're not bearing fruit, what good are you? Your firewood. 
So the people asked him, saying, what shall we do then? And he said, here's what you can do. If you have two sets of clothes, give to him who has none. If you have food, do likewise, share it. Tax collectors, they came to be baptized. And he said, teacher, what shall we do? And he said, collect no more than what is appointed for you because they used to cheat people and take more than they owed and keep it for themselves. To the soldiers, the Roman soldiers, as Rome was, was positioned there as the military force that Israel was under. And they said, what shall we do? He said, do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. So you see what John was doing was he was saying, here's what you can do to show that you are different, that Christ has changed your life. Fruit of repentance. Instead of covering your sin and condoning it, stop it and demonstrate that you have a changed life. Your life is Christ. He's living in you and through you. There's also this, the fruit of spiritual maturity. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus told about the parable. He told the parable of the sower, which outlined four different types of soil, which symbolized four different types of hearts. And in verse 14, he talked about one particular type of soil called thorny soil. Now, in this thorny soil, the seed would be planted, but it was uh, mixed in with thorns and thistles. And, and when that seed would sprout, it, it would sprout enthusiastically. But the thorns would crowd out that plant and choke it down, and it would not bear fruit. Jesus said, such is the one who comes to church, who hears the word of God and receives it enthusiastically. But there are thorns in that person's life. And Jesus said in this verse that they're the thorns of the cares of this life, the thorns of riches, and the thorns of pleasures. Now, there seems to be nothing wrong with those things. Everybody has cares. Everybody wants money. And everybody wants to have a good time. But those things, when they're pursued to their own end, choke out the Word of God. And you don't grow into maturity. That's what he said at the end. And, and they don't bring any fruit to maturity. Some of you have been coming to church for years, but you haven't grown an inch. You're a mile wide and an inch deep. You know the Bible from cover to cover, but it hasn't changed your life. It hasn't changed your attitude. It hasn't changed your behavior. It hasn't changed your outlook. You haven't grown in the faith. You still worry about the same things you used to worry about years ago. You have no uh, ability to step out in faith and trust God to do what you can't do. You know other people in the Bible and other people who do, but you don't because you know the Word You've heard the word, you believe the word, but you don't obey the word. And there's no maturity. It's been choked out. Are you bearing the fruit of spiritual maturity? Remember Jesus told the parable. Not the parable, but uh, he made the statement about uh, what it was a parable in the Sermon on the Mount. He told about those two men who built their house one built on the sand, one built on the rock. You know what made the difference? What was the distinction Jesus was making? One, the man who built his house on the sand heard the word, but what? He didn't do it. The other man built his house on the rock. This was the man who heard the word, and what? He did it. He obeyed it. And the rains came down, and the floods came up. And my friends, rain's going to come in your life. Storms are coming in your life. But if you haven't obeyed the word, you've just heard the word, it's going to wash you out. Wash you out. But if you've been doing the word, 
obeying the word like on being on a rock? Are you bearing fruit, the holy fruit of spiritual maturity? What about hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Is there a hunger in your life for the things that are good and right and holy about God? You see, the Bible, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed is he who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. Hungry and thirst. Hey, I get hungry. Some of you are hungry right now. Some of you were born hungry. Some of you never got over it. And that's the way we all are, isn't it? Some of you carry a a pack of snack crackers in your front pocket, don't you, Brian? (laughs) Hungry all the time. I can relate. But are you hungry for God and his word? And his righteousness. Isaiah said it like this. Lord, your word is like my necessary food. David said it like this in the book of Psalms. He said, I desire your word more than I desire honey. He said later, Lord, I desire your word more than I desire gold. So David liked it better than honey and money. Do you? Is there a hunger for God and his righteousness. Seek ye first, Matthew 6, Jesus said, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things that you're worried about will be added unto you. Are you bearing the fruit of hungering, thirsting for God? If Jesus lives in you, that'll be part of your life. Is there a desire for God's word? 1 Peter 2, 2 says, as newborn babes, Desire the milk of their mother. I'm going to fill in the blanks there. As a newborn baby desires its mother's milk. He said, you as believers crave, is the word, crave the pure milk of God's word so that you will grow. Do you have a craving for this or is this something you just leave laying around and you pick it up every now and then? I would imagine in the crowd this size that there are probably... Half or more of you that hadn't picked this book up all week. All week. But yet you call yourself a Christian and listening to God. How do you listen to God when you don't open his mouth and open your heart? Is there a craving for the word of God? Are you bearing the fruit of holiness? And part of this holiness is I desire to hear from the holy God. You say, I don't understand this book. Well, I would say to you, read it and ask the Holy Spirit for understanding. I don't understand it in my flesh. I don't understand it if I avoid it. I don't understand it if I don't ask for understanding. And I expose myself to those who can explain it. I come to things like the walk through the Bible where it helps me put these things and these pieces into place. I want to grow. Also, as Christ lives in you and you're bearing fruit, there will be a burden for those without Christ. You'll be bothered that there are people who are lost and and who are dying and who are actually going to hell. Hell is a real place. It's a literal place. The Bible speaks of it. The church did not invent hell. The Bible says that God created hell for the devil and his angels. It says all those who are unbelieving, read the book of Revelation, all those who are unbelieving will be cast there. There are people who are dying every day who are being separated from God, who are going to a place of hell. That should bother me and you. 
that we would be willing to do something about it. Paul said in Romans chapter 9, verse 1, he said, I tell the truth in Christ, I'm not lying. My conscience also bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. What Paul is saying is, these Jewish people who've rejected Christ, he said, my heart bleeds for them. Because they think they're doing right. Now, Judaism, that was something that was invented by God. But it became, a instead of this way of, of uh, pointing to Christ, which by the way, all of the Old Testament, and all the laws and the sacrifices and all that points to Christ. Instead of it using it to point to Christ, it became an end of itself. And they just did all these rituals and routines. And that became how they related to God instead of having a personal walk with him. And so it became a religion. And Paul became very burdened for them. Are you burdened for anyone? Are you praying for anyone who's lost and without Christ? Does your heart ache over their souls? That they, if they were to die today, that they would be uh, in a place called hell forever apart from the presence of God? And that you would never see them again if you're saved? You would never see them again for all of eternity? Does that bother you? There would be a burden. See, that's part of the fruit of holiness as I'm growing up in the Lord, as I'm hearing his word, am I walking with, am I, and I walking with him, then what he, his heart hurts for, my heart hurts for. What he delights in, I delight in. What he hates, I hate. What he loves, I love. And he loves lost people. And he hates it when his people don't love lost people. And he hates it when his church is doing church, but they're not reaching out to lost people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul said in chapter 10 of Romans, he said, My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. That's part of the fruit of holiness. Then there's this eagerness to serve the body of Christ. That's something that believers want to do. They want to be a part of a church. They want to be serving the church because they recognize that the church is the body of Christ. Look around you. We are the body of Christ. The Bible says this in Romans chapter 12. He says, we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. We're all members of the body of Christ here. If you're saved, we are the body. The church is not this structure here. It's not those buildings out there. It's not this campus. That's not the church. We can exist without all of this. You know that? In fact, they did in the first century. They didn't have all this. And they thrived. But we're the, we're the body of Christ. And every member of the body, he says, has a gift. Verse 6, having then gifts according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. What are you doing with your gift? What is your gift? What is it that God has put within your heart, the ability and desire to do. You say, I don't know what my gift is. Well, let me ask you this. What is it that you really want to do? What is it that bothers you that you wish could be corrected? That's a good clue about what God's calling you to, to do. What is your gift? What is your calling? How can you use that in the context of the church? The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, 
in verse 16. Well, let me get in Ephesians. The whole body is joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Are you doing your share? Or are you just taking up space and oxygen? <laughs> I love y'all. Y'all are looking at me like, God needs to shut up and get out of my business. That's my job, getting your business. 20% of you here today are carrying 80% of the load of this church. That's a cry and shame. Financially, some of you haven't given a dime or that's all you've given. You see, a tithe is what we're commanded in the Old Testament. And when we come to the New Testament, the tithe still exists, but so does giving through grace of which God has given to us. 10% is just a jumping off point. That's just where you start. Some of you haven't even started there. And I always talk about the federal government. How many of you would not pay your taxes because you fear what? The IRS, the federal government, going to jail. Do you fear God? He says, bring all the tithes in the storehouse, and I will open the windows of heaven, and I will pour out to you a blessing that there's not room enough to receive. Some of you are waiting before you can afford to tithe. To tithe, that's not the Scripture. The Scripture says, tithe, and God will bless you. What about your time? Some of you are so wrapped up in the things of this world and your own life that you don't have time to give to serve these people, this body. We have a pre-K Sunday school class that has no teacher in it starting in August. Not the first teacher. Pre-K five-year-old. Why is that in a church this size we cannot find a pre-K five-year-old Sunday school teachers? Two of them. Why? Because there's people in this congregation who are selfish who won't give their time to serve the body of Christ. Maybe God would put that on your heart. You see this young lady up here? Learned the books of the Bible, 10 memory verses, and read 50 chapters of Genesis. Why? Because she had help at home, but she also had the help of a Sunday school teacher sitting right up here on the second row. These little children are learning the word of God. Why can't we find teachers who are willing to edify this church by serving? Why does it have to be a burden when it ought to be a joy? Serve the Lord with gladness. Enter into his courts with praise. We all want to enter his courts with praise, but are you serving with gladness? That ought to be a fruit of holiness. An eagerness to serve the body. There ought to be a strengthening of relationships with other believers. We ought to long to be with one another, as in the early church in Acts chapter 2. It says, then those who gladly received Peter's preaching his word were baptized. And that day, 3,000 people were added to them. But they didn't just stay scattered. It says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. Verse 46 said, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. There was a desire to be together. 
this idea that people don't want to go to church. They just, we're going to stay home and do church. We're going to do home church. Now, I'm not against home church necessarily, but if home church is just home church because you can't get along with the rest of us, something wrong with you. Maybe you're the problem. Maybe you do need to stay home. But it ain't the rest of us. I know people in this town, in the town we came from, who had been in members of five different churches in the same town. You think they might wake up one day and realize that the problem's not the church. I know y'all looking at me again like that. <laughs> I'm just being real. Maybe the problem's you. The Bible says, and I prayed, thought about God get. Reminded me of this this morning while I was praying. He promises to be with us. First of all, if you're saved, he's in us, right? He's in us. And the Bible says, where two or more gathered in his name, what? He's with us, right? Is there at least two people here for the right reason? I would think so. I hope I'm one of them. So Jesus... God, the Holy Spirit, he's here. It don't matter how many other hypocrites are here. Jesus is here. Amen? I want to be where he's at. And all this business about, I don't want to go to church full of hypocrites. Yeah, well, Jesus is there, and he hangs out with us. What's your problem? You better than Jesus? I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm getting <laughs> revved up here. Y'all starting to see my real side here. That I try to ramp down. I got to ramp down. Let me take a deep breath. <sighs> okay. There needs to be a strengthening of relationships with other believers. You don't run and hide from God's people. Hebrews 10.25 says, Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. There are some people who don't want to hang out with us, and if they don't want to hang out with God's people, maybe they aren't God's people. But I found that God's people are the best people in the world. We're broken people. We're imperfect people. We get on each other's nerves. We, we hurt one another from time to time. But you know what? I'd rather be with you than anybody else in the world. Because you and I have something in common that's stronger than anything else. We have Jesus Christ in common. We're kin by blood. The blood of Jesus. That ought to be bearing fruit in our lives, the strengthening of relationships with other believers. There ought to be a heightened sensitivity to the Holy Spirit's leading in the church as a whole as well as in our individual lives. If we're full of mature believers who are growing in their walk with the Lord and bearing the fruit of holiness, our church will become more and more sensitive to what the Holy Spirit's doing. As in Acts 13 they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the whole church. And the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and sent them away. So the, holy, the, uh, the church is now uh, seeking God's direction. And the Holy Spirit speaks to them and says, I want you to, to call out these two that I've, I've picked out. I want them to be missionaries. You know what my prayer is? My prayer is that God would, would start calling you out. Yes, you young people, but yes, any of you. There's no age barrier on being called out by God to go do a work somewhere else. You know, I, can, I could not even begin to count how many people have been called out of this church to go to a new job in a new city, but I'm kind of hard-pressed to find 
not hard-pressed. We do have some. We do have some. But who have been called out to go start a new ministry somewhere. To go serve the Lord in another place. To go be a missionary. To be a preacher. To be a church planner or a whatever it is God's calling you to go and do. This church needs to be a sending agency. We need to be listening to Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit will be calling people out of here. As well as, if you look at Acts, he said the Lord was adding daily, but he was sending out. Adding, sending, adding, sending. And all the while, there were people in the process growing in the Lord. That's what a church is supposed to be. Calling people to Christ, helping them grow up to be sent out. And by the way, every time you leave this building and drive off this campus, well, that sign's broken. We're trying to get it fixed. But it says you're now entering your mission field. You're all called out. We ought to have a heightened sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. What has the Holy Spirit been saying to you lately? What's he been teaching you? What's he been asking you to do at work, at home? And there's going to be all sorts of other spiritual fruit that you will bear like the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy. I could camp out on each one of those, but I can't. Peace. Long-suffering, you know it as patience. Well, you don't know it. You've, you've heard the word. Long-suffering. Suffer a long time while you're waiting on that person in front of you to move out of the way. Gentle. Gentleness. Goodness. Faith. Faith. I can trust God. We can trust God. Meekness, not pride. Self-control. Each one of those deserves more attention, but for many believers, there are certain enemies that keep the fruit of holiness from being produced in our lives. There's the enemy of busyness. We're involved in way too much. Like Jesus told Martha, 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 you're concerned about too many things. Ask yourself, what can you put down? You don't have to do all that you're doing. You think you do, but you don't. What can you stop doing so that you can serve the Lord? Busyness is one of our enemies. Materialism is another. The pursuit for more, more, more. I'm not content with what I have. I need more. Pleasure. Let's have fun. And you know, none of those things. Things are wrong in themselves. We ought not be idle. We ought to work hard and provide for our families. We are to take time for rest and recreation. But those th three things can become gods in our lives. And we crack out God. And we're not bearing the fruit of holiness. See, these things, busyness, materialism, pleasure... They won't bring any earthly shame. In fact, they'll bring earthly praise. Wow, you're a hard worker. Wow, you're doing good for yourself. Oh, man, I wish I could go on a vacation like that. 
But what about before Christ? What will you have to show and to give to Christ when you stand before him? Exodus 34, 20, God said, no one shall appear before me empty-handed. I wonder how many empty-handed believers will stand before Christ at the judgment. There will be some. The Bible even says so. 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 14 through 15. No other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved Yet so as through fire. Some people are going to stand there empty-handed. They got to heaven. They don't have anything else to show for it. There's going to be some shame there. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, study. The word is not necessarily knows in a book study. It says, be diligent is what the emphasis is. Be diligent to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who needs not to be ashamed. 1 John 2.28 tells us, little children, abide in Christ, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Why would I encourage you to be and to produce holiness? Why should we? It's not just for our own benefit, but it will bless you, but you will have something with which to present Christ when you stand before him. As the 24 elders, which I believe represents all the saved of mankind across the generations. You know, Revelation is quite symbolic. And these 24 elders in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 10 are standing. And actually, they're not standing. It says here, these 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne. And they worship him who lives forever and ever. And what do they do? They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, you are worthy. You know how they had crowns to present to say you are worthy? is because they worked for those crowns here on earth because they considered him worthy here. Those empty-handed believers in heaven won't be able to say you're worthy. They won't have anything to offer him because they didn't live a life that demonstrated that he was worth something to them when they were alive on earth. Is he worth it, y'all? Is he worth all of this? Yes, he's worth it. And if we will live and work and breathe for him, then we will have a handful of crowns. It's not for us. It's to lay before him. Don't appear before him empty-handed. Let's produce the fruit of holiness. Remember, he said, what fruit did you have in those things of which you're now ashamed? You don't want to be ashamed then either. Let's get rid of the shame. And let's live for the name of Jesus Christ. How wonderful is that name? How beautiful is that name? How powerful is that name? We just sang it. Now let's see if we can live it. God, help us live it for his glory. Father.